Good morning. Good morning. It's so fun to hear that Tim's coming and that Drew's here and uh, the pastors. We were all at uh, Midwinter, our Covenant Big Denomination conference for uh, pastors, and there were there's just all, Mark Severson was there, Garth Bolander was there, Tim was there. Um, Hillcrest has had sent out actually, like Drew, like Tim, like Mark, so many people all over the world, and it is it is just an honor to be a part of that church family. Um, this morning, well, I just want to say the last three years, I have had, God has given me a theme, word, or phrase, which is new. It's new for the last three years, but it's been very good. So at the end of 2017, as I was reading uh, an Advent reading, and uh, the, uh, it was about the wise men that had gone to see Jesus. They were supposed to go back to report to Herod, but they were warned in a dream to return another way. That phrase, another way, was what God had been highlighting to me actually the whole year. And when I read it in December, it was like, that's the phrase for this next year, another way. And the way that worked out for me is that when I found myself in a spot, in a hard spot, between a rock and a hard place, um, stuck, and be like, I, there's nothing I can do. There's no way to go. There's always another way. Because there just is. That's the way God is. He's creative. He makes paths where there are no paths. And so my theme that year was another way. The next year, at the end of uh, 2008, I had been doing some significant internal work, and um, God was highlighting Psalm 23 to me. Um, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, um, I am a seven, and the um, unlovely part of a seven is our tendency toward gluttony. Yes, gluttony, I'm saying it right in front of all of you. <laughs> I wasn't going to, I actually crossed that out, don't say it, and I said it. So, and, and for me, um, that manifests not so much in food, but in just wanting more of a good thing. So um, I'll see like one Star Wars movie, or no, at one, and it's like, well, I better see the next one right now. Um, if I have, uh, uh, read something on the internet that's interesting, well, I got to click on the next one. I think other people do too, maybe. Click on the next one because there's always more, always more. Um, interesting experiences, music. Um, but right at that point this last year, it was books because I love to read. And I have mountains of books in my office here at home. And so last year, with that word, enough door, you have enough. I've been working on realizing that I have enough of all those things because of the work in Psalm 23, and I've been <clears throat> gradually calling out. Well, as I've come to this year, at the end of this year, I'm still in Psalm 23, but I realize as enough was my word the year before, that was coming out of more of a, a scarcity mentality. I have just enough. There's just, I, I, don't, I don't have any more, but there's just enough. And then I realize this, that this year, Oh, there's more than enough. I have everything I need. And so my word this year is everything. I've written those on the front of all of my journals for that, for that year, for that year, and this year, it's everything. And um, even more than I, what I need, but what I desired. And that's how the first line of Psalm 23 in the Living Bible says. It says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. So let's pray. God, you are. You are shepherd. You provide everything we need. 
because you have at your disposal everything. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to be open to you as you speak to us individually for our church, for our world, for people that we love, people that we care about. Uh, Lord, your word is what remains. And so, Lord, we ask that you would let your word, what you have for us this morning, remain in us. Amen. So Psalm 23 is, it's not a new discovery for me. <laughs> that was one of the first things I ever memorized as a child, and maybe it has been for you too. Um, I had it up along with some other verses. I had that on my wall, and I would recite that when I learned how to read. I would recite it before I went to bed. And um, as so often happens, we learn things in a really simple, concrete way as children. And then as we grow older, we think, well, we're a little too sophisticated for that. I've got that nailed down. I mean, I know that. I've been to a lot of Bible studies. I might have even been to Bible study fellowship. I may have even been in seminary. All kinds of Bible studies. Do I really, don't I really understand Psalm 23? I mean, really, it's for children. And then we come to a place, as we realize the complexities of life, take us kind of um, away from knowing things and how we really don't know what we do know, and then we go back to those places. And we find that what we thought we knew, or what we did know as a child, we know in a whole different way as we're adults. We know them deeper. We know the complexity of them. We know the profundity of them. And we know them more from our head and now more in our heart. There's a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes that describes the road from 20, the 23rd Psalm as a young child to the 23rd Psalm of adulthood. He said, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig, but for the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that, I would give you everything I have. And this is an illustration that helps Isn't it true? Some of us are right in the middle, right there, right there, <gasps> hoping to get to the other side. So keeping in mind that we are not children and we've moved through much complexities of life, we're going to read this psalm together, considering that we are on the other side of that early simplicity. So let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Mm. The first line in that psalm uh, that ends with, I shall not lack, is that's actually the theme of the whole psalm. And we can go through each one of those lines with that, I, shall, I, I lack nothing at the end of all of them. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. I lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. I lack nothing. He refreshes my soul. I lack nothing. What a wonderful exercise for us to do. And that psalm, often we will hear that psalm at funerals. And why Psalm 23, a children's psalm? 
because it is such a comfort. Because people that are at funerals have their hearts opened in a way that we rarely have at other times. We see that we really do not have much in our control. And so we look to our good shepherd. And we could talk about uh, how we are sheep and God's a shepherd, and we will a bit, but um, and uh, there's books, a wonderful back book actually by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, which I highly recommend. It's been around for years. Um, so there's that and many other resources. Today, though, um, because we are moving toward communion, we're going to take a high flyover and, uh, with some points. So in verses 2 and 3, we see that God, God knows when we're needing rest and refreshment. He knows when we're overstimulated, getting unhealthy, unaware, and he leads us to places of rest and refreshment. Do we believe he does that? If we do, I wonder why we're so overloaded. I wonder why so often we're overwhelmed, why so often we're hopeless. It's as if we feel like we need to hold things up, keep them moving and from coming apart. And that, another word for that would be striving. And striving is like trying to achieve something by pushing a boulder up and up and up the hill. And if we let go, it's going to come rolling down again. That's what remains with striving. And the other way that we can have things happen is by grace, in God's timing, in his way. The things that God does by grace, those are the things that remain. And as we can receive those more and more, we have less and less reason to be overwhelmed, overstressed. When we feed on those things that do overload us and stress us, when we look at those and focus on those, those are the things that will grow. What we feed will grow. When we look to see what God is doing, how he is leading, the pastures, the water, the refreshment, we trust that he's taking care of us. That trust will grow. What we look at grows. In verses 3b, it says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And paths right now, we're going to talk about internal paths, although he guides us in both of those. The more hidden, because, the eternal, because of the internal paths being more hidden, they actually are more susceptible to kind of get a hold of us, and we can find our places in uh, ourselves in places that are not good and unabated and that are damaging. Have you ever found yourself, your heart and your head, going down a wrong path? A path of worry and fear and avarice and anger and pride? There's so many lovely things we get to choose from. <laughs> and in those things, although they're natural and we may even feel justified in feeling some of those ways and powerful, those are toxic for us and they are not helpful to other people. They are hurtful and they are not honoring to God. But it's hard. We get stuck. We're humans. We get stuck. That's what we all do. And we might even be more concerned with another person's path than our own. And then we remember the log, that log, that thing we've learned about years and years ago. Look at yourself. Look at the log in your, in your eye first. Take your own log out before you start looking at somebody else's. We compare so easily. We are kind of built for that. But when we compare with somebody else and come out on top, that leads to pride. When we compare to somebody else, when we come out below them, that can lead to self-loathing and hopelessness. 
I love, love Jesus' words to Peter at the very end of the Gospel of John. Peter's leaning over to Jesus, and he's pointing to John. He says, hey, what about that guy? And Jesus says to Peter, what of it? What do you think about that guy? What's it to you? If I choose, I will have him stay with me until I come again. He says to Peter, you follow me. You follow me. That is a good word for all of us. We have enough to do trying to follow God rather than to worry about somebody else's path. And God trust that God can take care of that. And even to the convicting of sin, in God's goodness, he convicts those who he loves. And if, as a reminder, when it is God convicting of something, it will be crystal clear what he is putting his finger on. It'll be crystal clear. It's in his kindness where he brings us to repentance. There will be godly sorrow. There will be a way forward. There will be hope as opposed to something that feels harsh, uh, a feeling of dread, that you're just wrong, you're just bad, there's a judgment, there's a crushing feeling. That is not conviction from God. That is condemnation. And remember what it says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. God knows the what, the when, and the how of conviction. We can trust him to convict, to lead, to lead us on the path for our good and God's glory. Can we trust God to do that? And then the next verses talk about the darkest valley and the evil that Mike lurked there. The first point he makes is that he's with us. He's with us. Remember, all through the Bible, the angels come and they say, do not fear, do not fear. They are manifesting the presence of God and they're saying, he's here, don't fear. He's with us and he has that rod. That rod is the implement of authority and for guidance. We have a God who is an authority over us, and he is so good and strong, and he is guiding us. And then there's the staff. Scholars talk about this as an instrument made... Staff scholars talk about this as an instrument particularly made for sheep, not for horses, not for goats, but for sheep. And, uh, and it's for comfort. And it's even used to, to guide a lamb back to their mother so that the scent of the shepherd isn't on the lamb. So the mother will take the, the, it back. And knowing that God is there in these things is stabling, stabilizing, especially when we don't understand. And when we cannot see exactly where he is or what he's doing, I keep this saying in mind. If you can't see the mark of his hand, Trust the intent of his heart. If you can't see the mark of God's hand, trust the intent of God's heart. Without denying or minimizing difficulties, we can still look to him for protection and guidance. Can you trust God in that? And then the next, you prepare a table before me, and in this we are shown the hospitality and the desire for intimate relationship with God. And he does this in the presence of my enemies. What about that? And my enemies, it's such a good reminder to know that God is aware that we have enemies, but our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is never flesh and blood. It is the powers and the principalities of the air. Can we imagine how delighted the enemy is when we pit ourselves against other people as if they are the enemy? 
Even somebody is doing a particularly heinous things, they are still not our enemy. They are in the grips of the enemy. So we war, we war against the enemy for our brother or our sister. And then we are anointed with oil. In ancient times, a sign of honor, and we can think of this as the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is given generously to overflowing. It's a grace. And here's the question. Do you believe God? Do you believe God is doing this, giving this all, giving it all to you right at your disposal? Do you believe he's doing it right now? And if not, can you ask him for help? Remember that there's that story in the Bible where the uh, father has a demon-possessed son. He comes to Jesus and he says, uh, would you help my boy? Will you help, will you help him um, if you can? And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. And the father said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Oh, I'm so glad that's in the Bible. And God honored that and the boy was freed. And the last couplet, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, points to God's faithfulness to those who are in a covenantal relationship with him. He never stops being who he is, protector, sustainer, nourisher, guide, leader, host, the one who honors and the one who is called loved and prepares a place for us here now and also later. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell on the house of the Lord forever. Lastly, I'm going to tell you a quick story. This story is set at our first house we lived in, in Prairie Village. We lived there for 24 years. We loved that house. Raised our kids there from birth through college. It was a great, I was a Cape Cod. It was in a great neighborhood. We loved the neighborhood. We loved our neighbors. But I hated the stairs in that house. There were, there were narrow there were 13, 13 stairs going up, and the last two stairs made a, a sharp turn as if the person who designed it was kind of trying to see, can you handle that? And um, there was a time when Allie and Zach were in middle school and Aaron was in high school, and everybody had huge backpacks and big, clunky, adult-sized shoes. The goal was for everybody, before they went upstairs to the rooms, to take up, to take up their backpacks, to wear their shoes all the way up to the rooms and take all those things up where they could be in their rooms. But for some reason, this was really, really hard to do. <laughs> so at the bottom of the stairs, there was always a pile of backpacks and shoes so that you were going up those stairs, you had to thread your way up there, you know, trying not to step on anything uh, so that you could have a solid landing. And um, I'd asked the kids to do this for some time with little success and internally a growing frustration. So one evening before dinner, I took a step toward the steps, stubbed my toe on Allie's giant backpack, and my anger erupted. And I grabbed that backpack and uh, went up the stairs two at a time, threw open her door, Ooh. And, um, and I said, through the backpack, and I said, here's where your backpack goes, and I flung it on her bed, although I missed her bed, missed Allie too, and it went right through the wall. <laughs> there was stunned silence <laughs> until I said, don't tell your father. 
You know, I was talking to Allie about this the other day to get permission. I've told this story before, but I wanted to make sure she was still okay with it. And she said, oh, sure, and we were chuckling about it. And, and then she said, Mom, you know, that scarred me for life. And I was uh, stunned right there. Uh, I hadn't realized that I thought we'd worked that through. That was 20 years ago. And my darling daughter, who we who are very close to, she told me that, and she meant it. And so we know that there are still there's still more to process. There's still more apologies to be made, because she has a wound there. There's a scar for sure, but there's a wound, and there's still something under that scar that needs healing. And uh, she needs healing. We need healing when that happens, so the wound won't act up, act out, be triggered. And actually, when that healing comes, that scarred place will become a place of tenderness and strength. That's when we, become, we can become wounded healers. We all have wounds and we all have scars, but until we tend to those places of wounding with awareness, inner work, prayer, counseling, the great physician has so many ways to heal us. Those wounds, that hurt will continue to come from those unhealed wounds to yourself and to others. Wounds that are not healed and transformed will be transmitted. That backpack incident is a very sad example of that. And so ask him, seek him. And here's the last question. Are you a wounded healer? Or are you an unhealed wounder? If you're the latter, you don't have to be, because God is the great physician. He is the one who heals. Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, such a silly question. He said, do you want to see? Do you want to be healed? That seems like a no-brainer. Of course he'd say yes. But actually, uh, there are secondary benefits that come with staying wounded. And so we need to consider, do we want it? Do we want to be healed? And that last line in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We remember that house that God's preparing for us right now will not be a single person dwelling, but we will be living in perfect communion with God and with each other. We won't be alone with Jesus. We will be together with Jesus. So we come to the table aware of our need for forgiveness, healing, guidance, wisdom, and remember that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us any more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. God simply loves us, not because we are good. God loves us because God is good. You are completely known and loved. And this is the God to whom we confess as we prepare for communion. We confess as a church family. We confess as individuals. We confess in solidarity with our brothers and sisters and ask for sensitivity to God's leading for further individual conversation and confession if and when God convicts that way. So often, it's a process. So as a church family, we are going to confess together a corporate confession that we have used over the years. Let's say it together slowly. We are sorry, God. Hear our repentance for our wayward handling of life. We have squandered time, hoarded money, avoided challenges, 
and used others. We have borne waiting grievously, illness stubbornly, trials reluctantly, and responsibility half-heartedly. We have doubted your care, mistrusted your providence, distorted your power, and ignored your love. We have neglected discipleship, injured our relationships, sabotaged our fellowship, and underrated your forgiveness. Forgive us now, we pray, and let us try again, sensitive to your spirit and committed to your will. And the good news is from 1 John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.